Welcome to By the Fiberside, a knitting and spinning podcast from the southern edge of northern Alberta, Canada. Episode 21, Doodling. got home yesterday from working the annual general meeting for work, where for the second year in a row, I was in charge of the slideshows and audiovisual materials for the hall. Last year, I went in with grand plans for my downtime when everything was running well. I had Christmas knitting to do, and I was sure over three days I could finish one mitten. However, shortly into the first day, I was told in no uncertain terms not to knit here. This year, I gave the matter a lot of thought, and determined that the tapestry was a little more subtle, as I could do it in my lap, that it was easy to hide behind the video operator sitting in front of me, and it was also easy to put down. To be safe, I also brought silly putty and a koosh ball, but the thought of having to sit there for three days without fibre of some sort to occupy my hands filled me with the sort of dread reserved for major dental work. I'm the sort of person who has difficulty being idle. I have been known to sit down and just watch television, but it's a rare thing, even these days when I'm fighting evening fatigue. And this is not a new phenomenon. I have a clear memory of being on a work term in Ottawa and cross-stitching in front of the television in the evenings, and that was almost two decades ago now. These days, more often than not, I prefer silence and the company of my thoughts to music or shows as long as my hands are busy with something. That's why I thought long and hard about the AGM this year. I knew I had to do something with my hands, given how tired I've been lately, if I wanted to stay on the ball. So I pushed hard and got the tapestry to a point where I could spend time filling in, and I also brought my sock, just in case I could find a moment for that as well. But knowing that doing fiber work might be ixnate again this year... I brought other things to occupy my hands, just in case. Anyone who knits or spins or does any kind of handwork knows that when the hands are occupied with something fairly mindless, the brain pays more attention to what's going on around it. You can listen better, absorb better, understand better. But a friend brought up a good point when we were discussing this over dinner on Friday. Sometimes, it's not about you. If you are being a distraction to others, then it doesn't matter how much better your brain works. Others won't be absorbing anything watching you do what it is you're doing. I expect that's why last year I was told to stop knitting, though the damage it did to my ability to follow the proceedings was quite major. I was a distraction, or I did not look professional, or something like that. Perhaps if I was more artistically inclined, I could have replaced the mittens with doodling. That might have been more acceptable, especially since there have been studies showing that it aids in paying attention. But, alas, I do not find myself with that inclination. Growing up, I used to draw a little, but over the years, I've replaced that artistic outlet with fiber. Crochet and cross-stitch first, then knitting when my wrists gave out on those two pursuits, and finally spinning are my go-to doodling activities now. 
There was a point on Friday when I half expected to be told to cease and desist on the tapestry as well. But since I was able to answer all the person's questions without hesitation and without looking things up, and also by having the rest of the morning planned ahead and able to tell the person the plan step by step, I think I avoided it. It may have also helped that the tapestry was simple for me to put down so I could show him what he needed to see. If fiber work had been banned, I would have mentioned the silly putty and the koosh ball. And if those two had been banned, I was fully prepared to ask whoever banned them to find me something acceptable to do with my hands. In the end, my fiber doodling was quite productive. I got a lot done on the tapestry, and during the Thursday evening session, I got about four inches done on the foot of the sock. Through it all, I knew what was happening, when I needed to do things, and I stayed alert and engaged with the whole proceedings. I put things down when I had to, picked them up when I had time, and also had things to do in my hotel room when I wasn't working. I did my best not to be a distraction to others, while fulfilling my own need to be active and not idle. Maybe back when fiber arts were more prevalent, when everyone knit or spun or did embroidery or knew someone who did, as you see in period films or read about in historical books, maybe then the general public understood that fiber arts and paying attention weren't mutually exclusive. Back then, it probably wasn't as distracting either, as so many people did it. As modern fiber artists, it's a bit of an uphill battle for us to gain that same level of acceptance, but it's one that's definitely worth continuing to fight. Thanks for listening. This is By the Fiberside. Fiber Week. So last Saturday, as my family was driving up for Thanksgiving, we all met out at Kaylee Wool, and I got my lap cloth, which was my birthday present. I uh, I picked it out. Actually, I picked out three. I put one back, and then Mark had to hold the other two behind her back, and we flipped a coin. But I'm quite happy with the one I end- that luck ended up uh, getting for me. So, so that was good. On uh, Monday, after everybody left and I was doing laundry, I plied off the... Uh, hand handmade Moata that I had sitting on the bobbins. So there's more than 10 yards. Happy about that. So that at least rounds off the Moata exercise for level three. I just have to finish it off, but I, I have to finish off the other one as well. And then, and then, and then I had a fail. So earlier in the week, I'd come up with this brilliant idea that I'm sure hundreds of other people have come up with before to make a spreadsheet to help calculate uh, drafting zones and twist per inch. So I made up my little spreadsheet and was so excited about it. I sent it out to all my classmates and I know we have to know how to do this manually, but when you're, when you're, you know, doing this, it's kind of nice to have a spreadsheet and you can just plug numbers in and it'll automatically calculate for you. So life's good. I may toss that up on the website in the resources page. Um, if people are interested in it, just send me a note and let me know. Anyhow, so using my fancy dancy spreadsheet, I did the math for the 15 twists per inch skein. Now, this is the highest twist skein that I have to do for level 3 in the specific twist per inch section. 
and uh, that was really that was dumb. I shouldn't have started there, but we'll get to that. So I did the math for a three ply at fifteen twists per inch, and that came out to I needed singles of twenty twists per inch. Now I remember in class that uh, that it was said that for the the last two twist per inch skeins, the twelve and the fifteen, because they're so high twist. We really should be using silk or cotton. So I had the brilliant idea of doing cotton. Now, I've been doing a lot of spinning on cotton on my tackly. I have not spun cotton on a wheel since Fiber Week. So that's three and a half months. Yeah, that was kind of silly. So there I am. I'm sitting there with my old traddy. Now, I love my old traddy, but it's the old style bobbins. And they're solid wood all the way through, not the bearings uh, that they have on the newer bobbins. Which means that there's higher friction, which means that there's higher take-up. And there's nothing I can do to reduce the take-up any further than I already have on the traddy. And it's far too high uh, for cotton. I had a heck of a time. So not only... (laughs) So not only was I attempting to relearn to spin cotton at the wheel and trying to get 20 twists per inch singles, but the take-up was so high that I couldn't actually do, you know, a modified point-of-contact long draw on the cotton, which I need to do. Let's just say it didn't go well. And I have some cotton on that bobbin, but I sure as heck don't think it's 20 twists per inch, certainly not consistently. So, next weekend, we're having a spin-in out at Kaylee Wool, and that's, uh, that's Mark's place, and she's my level 3 teacher. So I'm going to bring the joy, and I'm going to bring cotton, and I'm going to have a new lesson from her on how to spin cotton at the wheel. I think I do have to spin all my cotton on the joy, because it's, uh, it's got the, uh, the bearings in the bobbins instead of all the way through. I don't think... Without replacing the flyer and the bobbins, I don't think I can get the take-up reduced on the traddy to enough to spin cotton at it. Which, yeah, I mean, I wanted to spin all my level 3 homework on the traddy. I don't think I'll be able to do that without upgrading at this point. So, I will spin cotton on the joy. But first, I need to relearn how to spin cotton. So that's the next couple of weeks' job, is to do that. So, but I, the little spreadsheet, I'm really happy with how that's helping with the math. The, uh, the overwhelming feeling of, in the poll that I put up on doing the level two introspectives was that I should do them. And so I will, I, I don't really have any order in mind, so I'm just going to start at the beginning. So exercise A1 for Master Spinner Level 2 is about wool grading. It's a short essay uh, that you have to put together about wool grading in Canada, Britain, and the United States, and why a grade is not necessarily of use to the hand spinner. And I got a half-decent mark on this one. I've actually got a really decent mark on this one, but I did lose marks. Apparently, the blood system is still in use um, in Canada. Go, go figure. I, yeah. If you remember back when I was actually doing this essay, 
You'll remember my rant about the fact that the most complete information I could find about wool grading in all three countries was in the old college five-a-week textbook, which annoyed me to no end because I couldn't confirm anything. So, yes, apparently the blood system is still in use in Canada. <sighs> wool grades. I understand why we have them, and I understand that even as hand spinners, we really should know, you know, what, what they mean. I just wish that we only had one. That would be really nice. And I wish it was the micron count, because that's something I can get my head around. This whole, the blood system where, you know, it's like a half-blood merino, that's how soft your your fleece is. It's, yeah... I'm sure it made sense at the time, and I'm sure all these systems probably make sense to shepherds and those who, you know, breed sheep and keep sheep, but uh, but I find it a little opaque, which probably means that I need to spend more time looking into it and reading up on it and understanding it, as if I have time for that right now. And the resources. I, I think maybe as Master Spinner students... We should be writing notes to um, the Canadian wool co-op or the Canadian Cooperative Wool Growers and the British Wool Marketing Board and the USDA, and saying, "Look, can you put out something, a brochure that explains clearly your grading system? Because as hand spinners, we want to know that, and we want to understand it. But the information that's out there right now doesn't make that easy." Maybe I'll, <laughs> again, in my copious spare time, put together a campaign for all of those organizations uh, to get them to do that for us. But what have you. I can't leave off this fiber week section without talking about the scheduling change. Now, after the last fiber week it was put out that then Fiber Week 2014 would be June 27th through July 4th. That was a Friday to a Friday. And I wasn't necessarily unhappy about that. I was a little... I mean, it meant that I would only have to take off five days of work instead of six to be there the whole time. I I liked it ending with uh, the July long weekend, for us uh, in Canada, that's uh, July 1st is the day off. Because it gave me two days after driving home to sort of, you know, do laundry and recoup and let my brain relax before I had to go back to work. And I wouldn't have had that this coming year. However, the schedule has changed again. And it is now June 23rd through 27th, which is a Monday through a Friday. Now, when I first heard about this, my initial reaction was, that doesn't sound like a good idea. On the one hand, for me, not much changes. I still have to take five days off work. I, uh, I have the long weekend at the end, which means that I have the two days to rest and recoup. However, I think there's going to be a lot of problems for the other parts of Fiber Week that I really, really enjoy. 
I think there's going to be a lot of vendors who won't be able to come or won't find it economically feasible to come. I know my dad, who was a vendor last year, probably won't be able to do it because it will require time off work. I I think there's a lot of vendors, especially those who are coming from outside Alberta, who won't, without the weekend, which is when the people who maybe aren't taking courses at Fiber Week, but want to come down and take in the atmosphere and go to the vendor, uh, the the merchant mall, they won't be able to come down. And so I think a lot of vendors will look at that and go, well, if it's only the people who are coming to Fiber Week, it's not worth our time to come. Because at the end of the day, a lot of those vendors, it's just a side business for them. It's not their main, you know, it's not their main income, source of income. Um, I think there is a good chance that the evening events won't be as good. I know certainly for myself, going into level four, I'll probably want to spend time, you know, reading the the book and and also preparing for the next day. I don't know how much, you know, home homework I'm going to have each evening. But uh but I do know there probably is going to be some. And if not, I'll want to practice what we learned in class. So, I'm not sure I'll be able to partake in the evening events as much as I would otherwise. I I don't know how good it's going to be for the people who are doing the short courses. A lot of those short courses ran over the weekend. Uh, if they ran longer, they ran into Monday and that was it. For uh, for those people, it was a matter of you can take one day off and make a, a long weekend and take the short course. If it's a matter of taking two or three days off, they may reconsider. Some of the instructors also may not be able to do it as well. Again, you know, this may not be the way they make their living. They may have a day job that they actually have to take time off of to come up and teach at Fiber Week. So I think that could also uh, prove detrimental. Lana made a good point on Ravelry. She said that by making it a Monday to Friday course, or a Monday to Friday conference, they're trying to make it into a professional conference. And if we were all making our living in fiber arts, it might make sense because, you know, we could write it off as business expense. But of all the people in fiber arts, maybe, what, 1% are making their living at it? You know, people like the Yarn Harlot, people like Cat Bordy. You know what? The rest of us, we're, we're passionate hobbyists who are maybe, possibly, not me, making a bit of extra money at it. You know, from, from selling books and articles and, and teaching and such things. But none of us are making, well, none of us, very few of us are actually making our living at it. So... I don't think it's a good change. I'm not happy about it. There's a lot of people writing notes to uh, Zach at Olds College. I, I don't know if it's too late to change it, but if it is, I really hope they go back to the, uh, the Friday to Friday model that they've had before. I'll still go. I need to take level four, um, but I'd like I did the first two years, I'll drive down on the Sunday and drive back on the Saturday. So that's my opinion on the date change and also my update on my homework. 
By next episode, I hope to have relearned how to spin cotton. Fiber notes. There's a bit to cover here for fiber notes, so let's just jump right in. My dragon swap box is just now packed up, ready to be sent, which means that I finished the little dragon. And it's adorable, and I wanted to keep it, but it matches the scarf, so off it went. <laughs> this is the problem whenever I knit something toy-like for one of these swaps, is I, <laughs> they usually end up really adorable, and I really want to keep them. So, um, I might make myself one, eventually. It, because it's fingering weight yarn worked on a, a small hook, I want to wait, give my hands a chance to rest a little bit before I attempt it again. And I also have to go into my stash and find an appropriate yarn for it. So, anyway, completely adorable. I had enough of the scarf yarn left for the body and the ears, but not the legs and the wings. So for the wings, I used a, it's a sock yarn that's similar. It's a, it's a lightly spun single, but it's in uh, long color repeats of blues and greens. It's the same yarn that I used for that garter stitch sock that kind of completely failed on me. So that turned out quite nice. I also used that yarn to just stitch on eyes. And then uh, I just found a gray sock yarn in my stash, a mottled gray, and I used that for the legs and it matched quite well. You could hardly tell that it was a different yarn. So overall, really pleased with how it turned out. And uh, I'm going to do a post this coming week about the both the scarf and the little dragon with photographs. I, uh, I had it with me just finishing it off when, uh, when my family and I went out to Elk Island Park for Thanksgiving. And so my mom took it and put it in trees and took some really awesome photographs. So you will see those in the near future. Um, as I said in the essay, I got quite a bit of progress done in the sock. It's amazing when you actually have time to sit down and do it. I uh, I picked up the gusset at the AGM and knit probably about four inches in one evening. And I need six and a half before I start decreasing the toe. I'm getting close to being out of yarn, but I think I still have enough to uh, to finish off the toe. After that, it'll just be reinforcing the heel and the the ball of the foot on both socks, and I will have another pair of socks, hopefully, before Christmas. So that will be awesome. The other thing that I did was, while my my family was here, they gave me the invitation to a baby shower for the, the person in our extended family that's having a baby in January. However, the baby shower is in November, and... I wanted to knit an op art for this uh, for this baby. So on my way home from the AGM on Saturday, I stopped off at uh, one of the local yarn stores. I was looking for Cascade 220 Superwash. They didn't have that, but, uh, but I picked up some vintage, which is a half acrylic, partly wool, and a little bit of nylon yarn. So it's, it's very much Superwash. I'm just not sure how it will block. I may have to do some testing on that to see if I can actually kill it with the with it being 52% acrylic. Um, I have uh, some other vintage, so I can just knit up a swatch and see if I can kill it. Anyway, I was looking at 
some other projects for the op art and someone had mentioned doing it from the outside in which sounds like such a great idea for a circular blanket because then every row gets shorter so so last night i sat down put on a movie and cast on 552 stitches and uh and started knitting and hopefully hopefully i managed to join it into the round without twisting i'm pretty sure i did but then i was pretty sure i managed to get that tunic cast uh joined into the round without twisting too so we'll see i also hope i'm doing the decreases in the right spots and i'll give it another couple of rows and and see if it's okay if it's not i'll just take it back and start again I did the cast on and the first row on six millimeter needles just to give it a bit of stretch on the edge and then switch to five millimeter needles. So hopefully that will go relatively quickly. But I can't work on it too much because Knitminton has a yarn bomb coming up in the next two weeks. And what we're doing, they're doing, what they're doing is, uh, is an install in honor of Remembrance Day. We have in Edmonton uh, a place called Valor Place, and this is a home away from home for first responders and ex-military and their families if they happen to be in Edmonton for treatment. So kind of like Ronald McDonald House, but for uh, first responders and military folks. Anyhow, there's a bunch of pillars out front. And for Remembrance Day, we want to do a poppy install on those pillars. They, they want to do a poppy install on those pillars. So uh, I'm very behind on my contribution. There's a, there's one Knitmintonian who will easily break 200 poppies that she is knit and crocheted for this install. There's also poppies coming from all across the globe being sent to Valor Place so that they can be part of the install, which is fantastic. Anyway, my job that I have volunteered for is to knit uh, four, about eight inch poppies for the four main pillars out front. So I need to work on that because uh, there's there's a prep day or a prep evening on the 30th, and then install is that following Sunday. Then it will be up for a week and then Valor Place will take it down and decide what they want to do with the poppies after that. So this week's going to be all poppies all the time, at least at work and possibly knitting groups, but I might bring the op art too. You know, it's, it's a simple knit. It's, it's garter stitch in the round. So knit one row, pearl one row and, and, uh, and then just do the decreases in the appropriate spots. So that is fiber notes. That's what I'm working on. <laughs> it sounds busy, but it also sounds like progress and I like progress. By the wayside. Well, I think I've more than made up for last episode's lack of progress on the tapestry. I spent a lot of time outlining, but I didn't have any time prior to Thanksgiving and my family coming down. So all the outlining happened after Thanksgiving, so in the last week. And so from Monday to Wednesday night, I did outlining and then threw it in the Q, the Q snap frame and uh, took it to the AGM and, uh, and did filling in. 
So it looks, it looks really good. I'm quite pleased with it. I'm very happy to have the photograph, even though the quality is not that great and the size isn't that great because there were some things, especially <laughs> in the horse's back end, <laughs> sorry, that, uh, that didn't quite make sense in the chart. And, uh, when I looked at the picture, it did make sense. So I, I think, I don't think it looks bad even with the, the darker color. I think it's going to look okay. So I even got started on the, on the face of the front horseman. So I'm really pleased with the progress that I did make. Not sure how much time I'm going to have in the next couple of weeks. Certainly not the next week. Got to get ready for that, uh, that poppy install, but but I made a lot of progress. I'm quite happy with it. And yeah, it's just a matter of keeping going from here. So that is the By the Wayside update. Thank you for joining me for episode 21. By the Fiberside is a bi-weekly podcast, and I look forward to bringing you episode 22 on November 3rd, 2013. Show notes for this episode can be found at www.bythefiberside.com. Join the discussion in our group on Ravelry. If you need to get in touch with me directly, you can email me at ness, as in Loch Ness, at bythefiberside.com. Thanks again for listening. This is By the Fiberside.